Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. So we just want to dig into it. Um, we're introducing a series uh, we're going to be tracking for the next uh, little while through uh, various psalms. The psalms are these incredible uh, poems, actually songs that are in the middle of your Bible. They've been important for thousands of years uh, to people who are trying to follow God uh, devotionally. And there's just some real wealth and some richness in there. We're going to sort of highlight something about the Psalms as we dig into each one over the next uh, several weeks. Uh, I want to share this quote with you from Eugene Peterson. He said this, he said, uh, people look into mirrors to see how they look. They look into the Psalms to see who they are. With a mirror, we detect a new wrinkle here or a new wart there. We use a mirror when shaving or applying makeup to improve, if we can, <laughs> like I says that, if we can, uh, the face we present to the world. Uh, with the Psalms, we bring into awareness our ancient sorrows, we release our latent joys. We use the Psalms to present ourselves before God as honestly and thoroughly as we are able. A mirror shows us the shape of our nose or the curve of our chin. The Psalms show us the shape of our souls and the curve of our sins. Realities deep within us, hidden and obscured, for which we need focus and names. And so the engagement with the Psalms, part of it is to just to come to a place of honesty, uh, to be able to see ourselves really for who we are. In some of the Psalms, uh, we see like incredible uh, pain and angst and crying out to God, God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, we see incredible joy. Uh, we see so much uh, variety. The whole of human experience is in these, and we're just meant to enter into them. Uh, many, many churches and traditions have a significant diet of the Psalms built into their worship lives. It's not something that's sort of been part of our experience as a contemporary church. But there's just so much value in us taking some time to go deep and engage with them and maybe grow a little bit. Uh, there's sort of a pattern in the Psalms that I want us to uh, kind of follow. And this comes from a devotional book by Timothy Keller. I can't uh, lay claim to the alliteration. Um, where uh, you know that the Psalms are there to help you admit something about yourself or about your situation. They help you deal with the reality of what's going on in your life. They help you see something about the beauty and glory of God that you've not seen before, uh, to see something about his majesty, something about his character, and to be drawn to adore him. And then we see in them an area to grow, a way to grow, a way to be transformed, a way to be made new, something to aspire to. And so what we're going to do as we do this uh, series is we're going to spend some time on the Sunday morning during this stream unpacking the psalm and making sure we get the full meaning of it. But then we're going to try to provide some encounters uh, throughout the rest of the week where we are having continuity from the Sunday morning message, where we're going to engage with each one of those 
thoughts through the week with a short reflection. We were going to say, what does this psalm cause me to admit about myself? Uh, what does this cause me to fall in love with Jesus over again? And what does this cause me to aspire to? What do I see about life that makes me want to grow? And so we're going to have those reflections through the week, and hopefully uh, we'll have a full understanding of the psalm and some transformative uh, effect. So that's the hope. Um, this first psalm that we're going to do is uh, Psalm 91, uh, which incidentally, which I actually didn't re- realize this when I first starting, started uh, the study on Psalm 91, uh, is actually referred to in the Talmud as the Psalm of Plagues, which seems an appropriate uh, title for uh, the first one in the middle of COVID-19. Uh, just amazing to be sort of seeing that connection there. But it's something that the Jewish writers sort of recognize in the language of the psalm, uh, that it's something that's appropriate and, and in, in the way that Talmud writes it or words it. It's like a song to be sung when the affliction is upon you. And uh, so that's just something for us to to engage with. There's so much beautiful encouragement, so many incredible promises of God in here, but there's a deeper, uh, richer understanding that we're to gain as we actually sing and as actually we pray for it, pray through it. And in this times, we're like certainly looking uh, for safety. Um, uh, St. Ambrose pointed this out many, many years ago. He said, it is ingrained in all living creatures, first of all, to preserve their own safety, to guard against what is harmful and to strive for what is advantageous. And so we've got this thing that's deeply ingrained in us that we want to be secure. We want to be safe. Uh, we want to be safe from harm. And that's sort of the theme of the psalm. Where do we really find that? Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, sort of states this as a really critical piece of just human existence. Uh, physiologically, we have needs that are our base needs. We need to eat. Uh, we need to sleep. Um, safety comes after that. We need to be secure. We need to be able to live in a way that we're not constantly afraid of dying. And we look into the government and all sorts of, you know, crazy stuff on social media in terms of criticism and argument and protest about how the government is doing that in these days and varying opinions. And please don't be one of the angry, angry people on social media uh, yelling back and forth at each other. Um, But uh, this is just sort of a a standard statement that that is a popped up through history a number of times, government's first and highest priority or obligation is public safety. And the person who said that thousands of years ago was Plato. And it's been said other times since, I think, but I think everybody ultimately got it from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, so it's sort of the most sort of famous recent uh, quote of, of that, government's first and highest obligation is public safety. So from Arnie, so I know the Terminator. So there you go. Uh, pretty important. But we're looking for that, right? We're looking for safety. If you look at Google searches in 2019, uh, how long does it take to get to the moon? How long does it take to get to Mars? How long does it take to boil an egg? How long does it take to digest food? How long does it take to charge a Tesla? Uh, How long does it take for antibiotics to kick in? 2020. How long does it take to recover from COVID-19? How long does it take to recover from coronavirus? And on and on and on. We're looking, we're searching, we're searching the internet for uh, something that will help us feel safe, help us understand, help us feel secure. Because many of us are experiencing tremendous anxiety. Many of us are like this uh, woman. We're up at night. Uh, we're wondering about our loved ones. We're wondering about our loved ones in retirement homes. Uh, we're wondering about uh, people that we care about. We're wondering about frontline 
frontline workers. Uh, we're wondering, I, I met the, at the mailbox the other day, I met a guy who was, this is crazy, was uh, actually, you know, his dog was taking a poop in the ditch and uh, and he had, you know, the, the baggie for picking up poop, which is, that's a whole gross thing, who goes walking around carrying a bag of poop. I, I, I invite people to let their dogs poop on my lawn. Um, but uh, But he's got the bag of poop, but then he had put gloves on before he did the poop bag. And so he gloves in the poop bag and I'm like, what, what's, I, I don't get it. And I, and I actually being the gregarious person I am, I actually asked him like, what's with the gloves and the poop bag, um, in the nicest possible way I could and very diplomatically, of course, just wanting to understand, um, which is, there's no way to ask that question <laughs> diplomatically at all. Uh, but, uh, but I did, I asked and he was like, well, I don't know if another dog has pooped there. And if that dog has coronavirus, I could get it from the grass. So just tremendous anxiety and tremendous sort of fear out there. And so there's a question, like, really for us, like, how do we find true safety? And we're going to have Tim read the text for us in just a second um, and, uh, and, and, and engage with it. But Psalm 91 points us to what true safety really is and, and where we find it and has so many just hopeful, hopeful promises uh, for us. So let's just go right into the text. Thanks so much, Tim, for, for reading that for us. Hey everyone, Tim here. Miss you. Can't wait till uh, we can all get together again. Um, today I'm going to be reading from Psalm 91 out of the uh, English Standard Version. Here we go. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes, and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 91. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tim. I really miss you, man. Thanks so much for sharing that. I uh, really appreciate you doing that for us. And man, you've got, uh, you've got a wicked uh, radio voice too, dude. It's pretty, pretty great. So yeah, thanks for doing that. Uh, so right into the text, uh, Psalm 91, we're going to start just in the first verse and, and notice some things as we go along. Uh, the first thing is, uh, just want to highlight, it. it's like he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. That there's a he who will in there, which is actually a, a promise, but it's actually sort of a conditional promise. If you do this, then this will happen. And what I want to notice a couple of things there is that, that that's actually an invitation. 
uh, we often look at these things that are conditional and see in them that they're um, they're like, oh, that mean God isn't giving the same thing to everybody. You have to jump through hoops. But it is a wide imitation. In fact, other translations read, uh, whosoever dwells in the shelter of the Almighty. So we just want to read that um, again and just say, hey, there is an invitation for everybody here uh, that God is inviting people into this dwelling place with him. What I want us to really notice and sort of place the psalm in context and understand sort of where it, where it comes from and what images sort to sort of use to interpret it as we go, I want to notice this word uh, shelter, which uh, could be translated secret place, and it is in a number of translations. Um, what that's pointing to is actually the shelter of the tabernacle. Um, many Jewish writers, uh, we often sort of imagine most of the Psalms, we sort of think, because so many of them are Davidic Psalms, they're from David, we sort of imagine that that's where they're from. But this one, most Jewish scholars uh, point back to the story of Moses and believe that this Psalm was written in the moment or near or after the time when uh, Moses had finished building the tabernacle while the Jewish people are wandering through the wilderness. He finishes the tabernacle and uh, the cloud of glory sort of descends on it and is present with the people uh, where, the, where the tabernacle is. We see that in Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. So Moses finished the work, then the cloud overshadowed the tent of meeting, the secret place, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So this shadow of the Almighty is the shadow of the presence of God. Um, it's the shadow of the presence of God overshadowing uh, the dwelling place, the place of the tabernacle, the place where people go to meet with God. So you put that uh, Psalm 91, not thinking through the lens of David as much as through the lens of Moses, and it kind of reads, he who dwells in the secret place, he who dwells in the tabernacle, the place where the ark of the presence of God is, the ark of the covenant is. Uh, of the Most High will abide in the shadow, in the glorious presence of the Almighty. So we ask, ask that question, where do we find true safety? And the answer is found in the very, very first uh, verse of the psalm. Uh, protection is truly found in the presence of God. And that's just going to be something we're going to see as we just unpack the rest of the psalm, that it's a call to the presence of God. It's a call to being in the place where God dwells and finding yourself there and staying there and connecting there and being in the place where God is. I'm going to go on to verse three, uh, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. I mean, this is just sounds like amazing promises. And from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Uh, so we've got this incredible image and we see this a number of times in the scriptures. We see it in the story of Ruth and we see it again later uh, in Jesus uh, story in Matthew 23, where he's looking out at the people of Jerusalem and he's saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. And so we have this image of God as a hen, like longing to gather us and longing to protect us. And we sort of imagine that uh, these little chicks, us, are sort of gathered under this sort of hulking body of this hen and the wings are sort of closed over uh, the chicks and keeping them from harm and protecting them. Um, that, 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 the hen actually takes um, the heat of the sun. Uh, the hen takes the cold of the night on its wings and underneath um, 
the chicks find shelter. And so we see this self-sacrificial act of the hen that Jesus was about to do uh, and that God does for us all through our journey. Um, but what we want to note here a little bit is that what Jesus said about this is that it's something he longed to do. It's something he wanted to do. Uh, but there was something wrong and something was stopping it from happening. And it was that the people were unwilling. And I think that should just uh, be a challenge to us. Just a moment's pause as we think about this grand promise that if we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, that God will hold us under the shelter of his wings. Uh, we got to stay under the wings. We have to stay there. We have to stay in that place. We have to be willing to be there. And so it just brings us to a question, you know, sort of about God's unconditional love. And I just want to say, and I want to clear this up, our understanding of it is God's invitation, God's affectionate love flows unconditionally. That invitation is always there. He always forgives us. He always welcomes us. He always invites us in. But how we experience it, and if we experience it, is conditional on our posture. Will we accept this incredible gift that is constantly flowing? And it's a question that should be challenging us. Um, so in this image of the hen, we see uh, this incredible intimacy, right? Uh, the wings are attached to its body. Um, you, you can't be protected if you're not close. You know, you don't get just the wings. You, you got to have the whole chicken. The wings don't work by themselves. You can't have its wings without its body. So this leads us to sort of just another point about safety. You have to take the cuddles to get the covering. You have to take the intimacy to get the protection. And many of us, we sometimes we want our faith to be like some sort of a mechanistic thing. We want it to be like some sort of transaction where if we just do our spiritual things that are good spiritual things we're supposed to do, we read our Bible, we pray, we attend church, we give, uh, then we get the protection of the Lord. That is not what generates for us the protection of the Lord. Doing that stuff doesn't give us that. Having intimacy with God and relationship with God is where we find the shelter and the protection because it's not about the stuff. It's not about the religion. It is about the presence. So how do we find and seek intimacy with him? Uh, I want to go on to just talk about what kind of protection he's offering. Again, the, the Psalm continues. Uh, verse five says, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. So say the presence protects us from both the sneak attack and the outright assault. Um, and I just think that's that's just helpful for us. We see these structures in the Psalms so often. I want to point to sort of the parallel things in here. You know, we've got darkness and night, and we've got day and noonday uh, together. And I just think, you know, there are different ways that we're wired. There are some of us who, um, you know, we're pretty confident out in the day. We're pretty confident about the way we live. We're pretty confident about our external lives. We're not really worried about that outward security. But when we put our head on the pillow at night, uh, we are full of anxiety and full of fear and full of bad dreams. The Lord knows your secret fears. He knows the fears of the night. And if you're a person who sleeps soundly at night, um, but doesn't know how you're going to get through the day, doesn't know how you're going to uh, do work, doesn't know how you're going to find a job, doesn't know how any of that stuff is going to happen, how is God going to meet you in those challenges that are happening out in the light? 
God is going to meet you and he's going to protect you and he's going to be with you in his presence in those places. So just, just know, no matter how you're wired, whether you're afraid in the secret place, he's going to want to meet you. If you're uh, afraid of the light, he's going to want to meet you. He cares for you. Uh, he's going to look out for you. Uh, here we are uh, looking at verse 7 and verse 8. Uh, what I want to do here is something a little bit different. I'm going to read the text, and then in a second I'm going to ask you actually to stand up in your living rooms. What I'm trying to do is find creative ways to sort of stretch your attention spans and give you a little bit of a break and some interaction partway through the sermon. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to read this text, and I'm going to get you guys to help me actually interpret it. Um, and so um, why don't you just stand up in your seats where you are, and I know that there are some of you who are Enneagram 8s who are saying right now, I'm not doing that, I'm not following instructions, I'm not that guy, I know who you are, um, so I need you guys to get off your butts and stand up, stand with your family there, because I want to take us back into the story of Moses to understand this part. Now listen, we read this, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Uh, as we read that, we sort of think, man, look at everybody's getting hit, but I'm safe. And we sort of think on, a, on the surface, we look, so the, so the writers are saying, woohoo, everybody else is getting hit and I'm getting, and I'm safe. That, that's a good thing, right? But that's not actually how we would experience that. So let's take us to the story of Moses. Now, Moses is walking through the promised land with his tribe of Israelite people. They're just slaves. They've just been freed uh, from Egypt. Uh, they're wandering, wondering sort of where they're going to camp next. And all the time, enemies are sort of coming and attacking them. There's one story where Moses is uh, standing over and watching a battle. And it says in the story that every time his hands get tired and he lowers his staff, uh, the battle goes badly for Israel. And every time he raises his staff, the battle goes well. So I want you to put yourself um, in the place of Moses. I want you to stand up in your living room. And I want you to imagine that you're looking over a battle. Uh, you're looking and you see um, a moment where your team is losing, where these Israelite people, that you're their shepherd, you love them, you care for them. Um, 10,000 are dying here, and 1,000 have died here in the battle. That's how we're meant to interpret this psalm. Now, what are you feeling, Moses, as you're standing in your living room? And you're looking at the maybe the kids beside you in their seats, uh, maybe you're looking out at your friends. Maybe you're looking out at your loved ones, those you care for. They're in the battle of life. And you see 10,000 fall over here and 1,000 fall over here. Are you saying, woohoo? At least it didn't get me. Have that position of Moses and just ponder that for a minute. And then try to interpret the text. What do you think God is saying in that space? What are you feeling in that moment? You're feeling relief. You can be seated now. Uh, you're feeling also what? When you look out at your people hurting, you're seeing sadness. You're feeling grief. You're feeling anger. Uh, you're feeling rage. And it says he looks to see the recompense of the wicked. You're looking forward to justice happening. So Moses is in 
the middle of the battle. He's seeing pain all around him. He's in the presence of God, praying for his people. It's not touching him. You know, presence doesn't protect us from the danger. It didn't protect Moses from the danger. Moses was experiencing the danger with his people. He was experiencing it in his heart. He was experiencing the pain. He was experiencing the frustration. He was experiencing the angst of, of losing people that he loved and that he cared for. Presence doesn't protect us from the danger. It protects us in the danger. Very often, uh, the safest place for us is in the midst of of the battle, because that's where the presence of Jesus is. Uh, looking ahead at verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. If we read these promises in an overly simplistic way, um, we, we, we have big questions to ask, because why doesn't this happen for every righteous person? Why do righteous uh, people suffer. And, and to be honest, if I teach these promises in a super simplistic way, I think I'm uh, possibly under judgment as your pastor. Because there are people who are just given like simplistic promises of God. If you just pray enough, if you just are in the presence of God, you won't get sick, you won't get hurt. And we know that people who pray uh, get sick and get hurt. And so if you're promised that and your life is eventually met by suffering as all of our lives are met, then your faith is going to be shipwrecked. And I don't want to be the pastor who shipwrecks your faith by uh, teaching you something that's overly simplistic. I don't want that judgment on me. So we have to wrestle with these hard questions. Why do these difficult things happen to good people? Why do terrible things happen to godly people? What do we do with all of the Bible stories of good people suffering? And what do we do with the rest of the Psalms? Like these Psalms are speaking, uh, the godly person, David, with this crazy mixed up life uh, is praying these Psalms and uh, he's praying not just good and glorious and beautiful things. He's experiencing pain and Jesus experienced pain. So how do we deal with that? Uh, the 90, uh, the 39 articles of the Anglican church says this, we must never expound one place of scripture that it be repugnant to another. And so we have to just consider the whole counsel of God when we consider these promises and look to understand them in the context of a world of suffering, with the promises of safety in a world of suffering. So what does protection in and through suffering look like in the Bible? And there's some amazing uh, places where we see it. We see it in Genesis uh, chapter 50, verse 20. This is the story of Joshua. This is an incredible young man. He was a bit of a jerk to his brothers. He was a bit prideful. So they, they threw him in a pit, sold him to traitors. Uh, he ultimately lived through a torturous life, imprisonment in Egypt, went through incredible pain and, and suffering. And at the end of the journey, when he's finally meeting his brothers again and finally making up with them, he says this, you guys, you brothers who threw me in the pit and, and enslaved me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph experienced the safety of God's protection all through all of this, all through all of the pain. God ultimately meant that for good. God ultimately meant all of that for safety. Romans 8.28 says this, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Hurt works together for good. Suffering works together for good. Sickness works together for good. All of these things work together for good. 
uh, for our ultimate spiritual soul safety. Um, and, and then in Luke 21, Luke is counseling his disciples. He's about uh, to, to go off and endure the cross, and he's preparing his disciples for what they have ahead for them. Luke 21, 6, 8. And this is crazy, actually, when you just look at it. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. And we just read that fast and we think like, Okay, so he's just saying blah, 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 blah. But look at this. You will be put to death. Some of you will be put to death, but not a head or hair of your head will perish. How do you get put to death without a hair on your head perishing? Like, how does that work? Like, that's crazy. Jesus, what are you saying? We're going to endure all this, but from your perspective, that's not a hair on my head perishing. What's going on here? These are true promises. He's talking about actual protection. He's talking about actual protection of the hairs on your head through death. We have to see that these are true promises, but they don't come into their full until the resurrection. They don't come into their full until the resurrection. And this little coffin on their screen is to just to remind you of what, uh, what the Jewish writers interpret this through the lens of and how they use this psalm as a liturgy. Where this psalm is used most commonly in Jewish liturgy is when somebody has died and at the graveside service. And what the Jewish people will do is they will, they will walk with the coffin to the grave and they will take some steps and they will stop. They will recite Psalm 91, they will take some more steps, and they will recite Psalm 91, and they'll do it seven times, traditional uh, Jewish leaders. That's how they will do a funeral, with a seven times reading of Psalm 91 over your life when you're in the coffin, because they're pointing towards the resurrection. Incidentally, uh, for women, uh, when they're doing the same thing, they don't stop and pause to read it. They uh, read it as they're walking seven times as well. So I think it's just because women can multitask better than men. I think that's the only uh, reason I can see for that. Uh, they can uh, read and, and talk and walk at the same time. But this is pointing towards the resurrection. So the fullness of protection doesn't come until the fullness of his presence in the coming of the new earth, in the recreation of, of humanity, or the remaking of this thing, and in the resurrection. So that's where ultimate physical safety is coming for us. That's where not a hair on our heads is going to be harmed. And look at this, and we see this so clearly in the life of Jesus. It says this, verse 11, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Again, that's an incredible promise. Guardian angels looking after you and taking care of you. Right? It's amazing. Um, here's, here's one way in which that promise can be interpreted and used. I'm going to show you how uh, Satan interprets this promise because we see it in Luke chapter four. We see it in the book of Matthew as well. And this is during the temptation of Jesus when he's out in the desert for 40 days fasting. And Satan took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. And he quotes Psalm 91 verse 11, 12, for he will command his angels concerning you. Jesus' answer to this use of the promise 
like command the protection of God, demand the protection of God. You, Jesus, have the right to be protected. You should receive this protection. You should claim this promise, Jesus. Take it, Jesus. Uh, This one's for you. Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, claim the promise. And Jesus answers him like this. He says, uh, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Satan is tempting Jesus not to go to the cross. Satan is tempting Jesus not to follow in the thing that God is follow, calling him to. And that is a huge, huge challenge for us, right? Uh, We must never use the promises of God to keep us from the purposes of God. You must never fall back on the promises of God to keep you from the purposes of God. God is calling you to do things for him, calling you to go places for him, calling you to spend your life, calling you to spend your money, calling you to spend your resources and to do that for the kingdom more than to preserve your own safety. You can claim this promise in, in, in a practical way. And maybe it would even work. Like maybe God would protect you from sickness and harm. Uh, if you didn't go anywhere where there was sickness and harm, but he might call you there and you might be looking to go into danger to find safety in the middle of danger in the presence of God. Uh, Jim Elliott, uh, story is an incredible story. Jim Elliott was an amazing uh, young missionary connected with uh, the Plymouth Brethren uh, back in the 50s. And when I say missionary, I just want to do a little disclaimer uh, for any of you that are um, sort of living up in, in this period in time, which we're living where when you say missionary, you see uh, colonial, uh, s- destroy the culture of an Aboriginal culture and all of that kind of stuff. That's not the story of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was by all accounts, this incredibly compassionate person looking to sort of come respectfully uh, into the Huarani culture in Ecuador and to begin to just simply tell them uh, the story of Jesus. He and five friends again, approach this in an incredibly respectful way. Uh, they set up a camp uh, close to the life of the Hurani to their villages um, and just allowed those people to just visit them and to observe them, and to spy on them. And they just live transparent lives. They brought generous gifts. Uh, Jim Elliott was a pacifist, um, just a very kind and loving person, uh, 29 years old. And uh, in the middle of that journey, um, Jim uh, one day was sort of there with his, his friends. Uh, they had taken a plane ride and they'd come back and 10 warriors, uh, came out of the village and killed him and killed five of the other missionaries and threw their bodies in the river. And he died, uh, a gentle and a kind and a generous martyr. And what was found in his uh, diary, and this is also uh, found in the works of Philip Henry in 1631, a very similar phrase, and it's written in his diary a little bit before that time. It says this, and this is a famous thing that we've heard quoted before, came from this missionary uh, to Ecuador. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So we give our safety as a gift, like Jesus gave it, our physical safety, our resources, our time, our money, our lives, as we follow the kingdom, as we follow Jesus in obedience to gain a safety that we keep forever and ever and ever. Uh, All kinds of things that we really treasure 
um, are not things that we can actually keep forever. You actually uh, can't keep your freedom. You, your freedom can be taken away. You could be put in prison. Uh, your, your money, your resources, that can all be taken away. That can evolve. Uh, some of us have experienced that in terms of looking at your stock portfolios. These things in which our security was, uh, was based evaporated. The value went out of them at, a, at an astonishing rate in recent months. Our jobs have evaporated. All of these things which we hold on to so tightly and so dearly aren't actual places of safety. The only place of safety is the presence of God. And this is the title of Jim Elliott's biography, The Shadow of the Almighty, quoting Psalm 1. So for him, dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty was having a spear driven through his heart. He gave his life up in eternal safety. So we're called to find this true safety. True safety is found exactly where Moses found it. It's found in the tabernacle. It's found in the place of the presence of God. It's found in the place of sacrifice. It's found in the place of the sprinkling of blood. That is where the shadow of the glory cloud comes. If you want to be safe, you have to follow Jesus in your calling. You have to follow Jesus in your vocation. You have to follow him. It's the only place that's truly safe for you. The only true safety can be found in the shadow of the cross. That's where we're secure. We go where Jesus is calling us to go. And that's Psalm 91. And through that lens, we just look briefly at the last few verses. And these we just receive as promises as people who are looking to dwell uh, in eternal safety with him. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. We see those as a definition of dwelling in the presence of God. This holding fast to him in a passionate love and this knowledge, this knowing of his name, we see love the Lord with all your heart, love the Lord with all your mind. We see reflections of this in Jesus. We see it in Romans uh, 10, love, uh, love the Lord with your heart, uh, believe in your heart uh, that he was raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. We see this heart and mind uh, reflection everywhere where we're called to dwell and to be with Jesus through the scriptures. And then there's these sort of final promises, these final verses. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. With long life, he will satisfy you and show you his salvation. With eternal life, he will satisfy you and show you his salvation. That is the life that we're meant to find. That is the safety that we're meant to find. Truly secure in him. Jake, you could come ahead and we could just begin to pray. 
so if you're here and you're looking at your life and you're wondering, uh, how do I feel secure? I want to just say to you, like, if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, that is the only place where you're going to find safety. That is the only place where you're going to find security. That is the only place where you're going to find uh, true safety and true joy and true protection. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.